You're listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. You can turn to the book of Romans. Turn to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Don't you feel don't you feel like the time space continuum helped you out this morning and you have an extra hour? Don't you feel like really good? I got up at like 5:30 just ready to go. I was like, "Yeah, bring it on." <laughs> but then in the spring you have to relive the the you know, the, the losing an hour. But anyways, this is the Mill Sunday School. We like to open up with the Bible. So turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And this is really a passage about other religions besides Christianity. And it's a really powerful passage. Everybody say, it's Bible time. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And then this is a really interesting verse. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, it says it's been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men and women are without excuse, that we should all know God because God has given us, uh, since creation of the world, God has been visible clearly, His properties. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. This passage is talking about exchanging God, the true God, in worship for idols. And this month in Sunday School, we're going to talk about world religions. Today, I think we're going to talk about a religion that is very intertwined with idol worship. But before we talk about that, would you pray with me this morning? God, we welcome you here as the Mill Sunday School. We just say to you, God, we are ready to learn more about world religions and how you alone are the true God of this world. Would you make yourself more known to us in this room as we've come this morning, as we've woken up early this morning to come to Mill Sunday School. God, would you show yourself clearly to us as the one and only true God, like this passage is talking about, that we might worship you and glorify you in this room as we learn. We praise you and we thank you, Jesus. And everybody screamed, Amen! Amen. Well, everybody, this is Mill Sunday School. Welcome. If you've never been here before, we take learning about the Bible and stuff concerning Christianity very seriously. I jokingly call us the nerds of the mill because we are, right? I mean, look around. This, this is the group that, that is kind of nerdy. And we're proud of that fact, right? Yes. We're like a tribe of people that are nerds. It's so good. Um, all this month, um, we are talking about world religions. Everybody say world religions. <clears throat> and there's four Sundays in the month of November. That's this month, right? Yeah. And uh, today we're going to talk about Hinduism. Next time we're going to talk about Buddhism. The time after that, Evan Martin. Where is, is Evan in here? Where's Evan? He just left. He got his coffee, then left. 
Evan Martin, our missions pastor, is going to talk to us about the African religions, the Af- African folk religions. How many of you are interested in going to Africa this summer? Yes, yes. I knew a large percentage of Sunday school would go to missions, and so I'm happy about that. I, of course, am going as well. So in three weeks, uh, Evan Martin will be talking about African religions. And then the last Sunday this month, we'll talk about the number two as far as largest religions in the world, um, Islam. We'll talk about that uh, at the very end of this month. So that's this month, talking about world religions. And kind of the point behind talking about world religions is for us as Christians to kind of know how we compare to other religions, and to say this, to say that Christians believe in something called absolute truth. We believe in absolute truth. This may be sort of an offensive message today. If, if you are like many people in the United States, many people in the world today, that do not believe in absolute truth. And if you don't believe in absolute truth, then um, it's really not congruent with the Christian message. It'd be hard to call yourself a Christian and I don't really believe in absolute truth. Because if you don't believe in absolute truth, you believe in relative truth. And what you believe is, well, all paths kind of lead to God. All ways kind of lead to God. Have you heard that kind of thinking before? Like, well, what's true for you is cool, man. What's true for me is true for me, man. It's all cool. It all, it's all God, you know. It's just good. Have you heard that kind of thinking before? Of course you have. It's so prevalent today. Except the Christian message has something different to say. The Christian message says there is absolute truth. If you believe in this and I believe in this and they contradict each other, well then one of us is right and one of us is wrong. Jesus made a really bold claim. You could turn to your Bible and look at it if you want to see this claim. It's in John uh, the 14th chapter, verse 6. Some of you have probably even memorized this verse. I know I have. It's pretty easy to memorize. It's a good verse to memorize. 14, verse 6, says this. Um, Jesus said, Jesus answered them, excuse me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says something bold. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as Christians, we have, we have a message. Christianity is different than any other religion on the face of this earth because we believe that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, that Jesus was God and He was claiming one way to the Father, one way through salvation, and that's through God Himself being the sacrifice for sins. And um, it's interesting, I got to go, uh, as we're talking about Hinduism today, I I got to go to Nepal twice on uh, mission trips, once for a month, once for like uh, two weeks. And there's, even though India is really where Hinduism is, Nepal has literally millions of Hindus. It's a very Hindu country. And um, I was there, and we got to talking with, in Kathmandu, there's all these shops, and you just have to buy stuff because it's so ridiculously cheap. I mean, a dollar will buy you, like, ten T-shirts. So you're like, why not, you know? It's, it's not that cheap, but it's ridiculously cheap. Um, and so we were actually getting T-shirts made for ourselves, like embroidered our faces into a T-shirt. <laughs> Some poor guy was going to make this and then get like paid like $2. Um, but we were talking with the... I know, it's brutal. Um, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, uh, we were talking to the store owner who was taking orders and stuff. And we were kind of just developing a friendship and joking around with him. And what's usually pretty common if you kind of meet somebody and kind of become friends is they immediately invite you to tea, to have some delicious chai, chai 
tea that's like black tea with milk and sugar and deliciousness. Anybody like chai tea? It's like in, the, in Nepal, and you could get the real deal, and it's so good. And so we went upstairs. We're having some chai tea with this guy. And then we started, all three of us were uh, Christians. We were there for missions. And so we're talking to the store owner saying, well, what religion are you? And he said, of course, I'm Hindu. I live in Nepal. And he said, you're Christians, right? And so, yeah, we, we, we said, yeah, we're Christians. But just because we're Americans doesn't mean we're Christians. We talked about who Jesus really is, about that, that you have to believe in Jesus to be a Christian, not just be from America to be a Christian. Um, <laughs> Because that was his, his thinking was, oh, everybody in Nepal is just Hindu because they're born in, in Nepal. But um, we started talking in his, we started talking about the Bible, actually. And we said, oh, how the Bible's good. And he said something that kind of encouraged us for a second. He said, oh, I've read parts of the Bible. I think the Bible is a good book. And we're like, ooh, oh, really? Maybe this is a door for us to, to kind of reach in and say, oh, what do you think about the Bible? What, what's, which parts did you read? And then he said something that's very relative truth-ish. Someone that believing in relative truth would say. He said, well, I believe that Hinduism is kind of like a room in a house. And Christianity is another room in this house. And he said, it's kind of like this. The whole earth is made up of a big house. And in this house are different rooms. There's a room where Christians are in. And they got Bibles and crosses and Jesus in there. Then there's another room in which there's Hinduism. And they got little gods and dots on the forehead and... Uh, Hindu stuff in there. Then maybe there's another room with uh, Islamic people, and they're Muslim, and they have the Quran, and they're they're believing in Allah, and they're 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 doing their thing in that room. There's all these different rooms. And he said, I believe that there's no roof to this house. This is what this Hindu guy is saying. Hindus believe that that all the religions are semi-equal, and that if you take off the roof of the house, everyone sees uh, some sort of spiritual enlightened being, and we are all trying to become part of this spiritual enlightened being become one and and enter into this spiritual enlightenment and he said it doesn't matter if you're a hindu or a christian or a buddhist or someone that's uh muslim it it just doesn't matter you're all kind of getting enlightenment by being in your separate rooms and so we had the hardest time telling him that no jesus is he said he was the only way to god he's the only way that, that we don't, it's not like a house when there's different rooms. It's like God has made a creation and we are all his people. And if we don't worship him, then we're worshiping something else. And if we don't worship him, then we can't be with him. And, and God requires a relationship with him. And we're, so we're going back and forth. And then we started talking about Jesus. And, and he said, oh, Jesus is just a good teacher. I believe in Jesus. And, and we were like, what? You believe in Jesus? He's like, yeah, he's a great teacher. And we're like, no, I mean, he's a good teacher, but he's, he's more than a good teacher. He's God. And we kind of just, you know, I still pray for him today and think, well, maybe we planted a seed. Have you ever thought like that? Like maybe we planted a seed of something. We actually gave him a Bible as, he, as, as, as we were leaving and thanked him for the chai and, and shook hands and smiled. And we were, we were great friends after that. You know, after having some tea with someone, um, you're like the best of buddies. And so we left each other. And you know how you always get like a thought in your head like, oh, I should have said this. You know, as soon as you're like you're speaking and then you're you're like, oh, but I should have said this. And I realized what I should have said was C.S. Lewis's arguments about who Jesus is. Have you heard this argument before that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic or a Lord? Have you heard that? It's in a book called Mere Christianity. How many of you nerds have read that book? Oh, look at all. I knew it. I knew like the half of this room would have read it because you're nerds. Um, if you're taking notes, 
Um, it's a great argument. It's not mine. It's the genius of C.S. Lewis, who also, by the way, if you didn't know, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which they just made a movie out of the books. It's pretty sick. Um, aren't they coming out with a new one like this winter? Yes. Um, under religions and absolute truth, write down liar, lunatic, or lord. And this is C.S. Lewis's argument about who Jesus was. Because C.S. Lewis claimed, you cannot say that Jesus was just a good teacher. You cannot say that Jesus was just a good teacher. Because his message, what Jesus taught, was that he was God. What Jesus taught was that he was the only way to God the Father. That through his bodily sacrifice on the cross, your mistakes and sin have been paid for. That's what he taught. And so if he's really a good teacher then you have to realize what he's teaching. He's teaching that he is God and he is the way to the Father. And so if that is not true, if like I'm talking to the, my Buddhist buddy, uh, excuse me, my Hindu buddy in downtown Kathmandu, and he's saying, oh, Jesus is just a good teacher, I should have said, well, do you know what he taught? He taught that he was the only way, not that there's different rooms and we're all looking up at the same path leading towards God. He said that he is the only path to God. That's what Jesus said. That was his message. That's what he taught. So you can't just say he's a good teacher and then think the other things as well. He was either a liar. Either Jesus was a liar saying, I'm the only way to God the Father. I'm God. And he was just straight up lying about that. Or, and it was, if it wasn't true, or he's a lunatic. He's, he's thinking, I am God. And I've met some homeless people that thought they were God. And they're not. They, they, I mean, literally, they're just a lunatic, crazy. Uh, not in a bad way, but... Maybe Jesus, I mean, if the message Jesus was teaching is not true, then he was either a liar, either he believed it and he was crazy, he was a lunatic. The only third option is that he really was Lord. C.S. Lewis says Jesus cannot be just a good teacher. He has to be either Lord or a liar or a lunatic. I kind of like that argument. Do you see it? And it's, it's, I think it's just great. So um, shall we get into um, a fun facts about Hinduism. In your notes, there's 10, 10 spaces for 10 fun facts to know and tell about Hinduism. And this is going to take a little bit of time to go through all of these 10. Um, they're not like, they're not like, these are just kind of my fun facts that I, as I've been researching Hinduism, um, these are just kind of the fun facts that I've found. <laughs> so they're really fun facts to me, um, but they may not be, they're just like, I don't even know what I'm saying up here. Let's just talk about number one. Number one is that Hinduism began in India. We have a map of India. Yes, there it is. If you don't know, Hinduism is the religion that is very popular in India. And um, India used to include, you see the area right next to it, to the left, it's called Pakistan. Pakistan's in the news right now because um, Pakistan is not a Hindu country. Did you know that? Pakistan is an Islamic nation. And so they're just the population is, is mainly um, Islamic, And so in 1947, Pakistan actually broke off from India um, because it was because of the separations of religion. In fact, when I was and there's a lot of animosity, as you can tell, between these two countries, one saying God is many gods and Hinduism, one saying Allah is the only God. That's Muslim. Um, and so when I was in Pakistan, I got to go to Pakistan on a mission trip, an all guys mission trip. It was pretty sweet. Um, we were just walking along with our missionary contact, and one of us was like, well, blah, 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 uh, uh, something. Well, we, maybe I want to go to India someday. And he's like, whoa, 
Don't say that out loud. Don't say the word India out loud. Say the country that is to our east. And the reason why is because there's so much animosity between Pakistan and India uh, because of the separation of these two religions. So I say all that to say India is the Hindu, where Hinduism started. It's the biggest Hindu uh, nation in the world, obviously. Um, Fun fact number two is that this is, Hinduism is the third largest religion in the entire world. One billion people claim to be Hindus. That's a whole lot of people. It's it's kind of surprising. Is it surprising to you that Hinduism is that big? It's surprising to me. Uh, Do you know what number one religion as far as population is? Do you know what it is? It's Christianity. You're, you, you all are part of the we all are part of the biggest religion in the entire world. You know how many other Sunday schools there are in the entire world right now? There's a there's a whole bunch, yeah. And so it goes. Christianity is the biggest religion by far. You know what number two is? Islam. Uh, number three is Hinduism. Uh, number four is what we're going to talk about next time. Kind of Buddhism slash Confucianism is number four. And then there's like this huge gape between like the other religions, like the African uh, religions and uh, Sinkism and cults and all kinds of cool stuff like that. Um, Cool as in like weird, not cool as in true. Um, Fun fact number one, India. Fun fact number two, Hinduism is the third largest religion in the world. Uh, Fun fact number three is that this is the religion where people have the red dots on their forehead. Did you know that? It comes from... um, It comes from doing your morning, uh, they call it puja, your morning worship. And um, what the the, um, red dot represents, at least historically, is that it's a third spiritual eye seeing spiritual things. And so that's what the red dot symbolizes. But how you get that is that every morning you wake up early. If you're a good Hindu, you wake up early in the morning, and first you go down to a river, river or some sort of, um, fountain or something, and you bathe yourself. Good idea or bad idea? Probably a good idea to take a bath. However, when I was in uh, Nepal, the river that I saw people bathing in, <laughs> it was so, like, usually in third world countries, you're like, you see a nasty river, and you're like, kids are still playing in it, and you're like, that's nasty, but kids are playing in it. The kids weren't even playing in this river. That's how dirty the river was. There was like, I mean, not to get too gruesome on you, but the, the river is, is a tributary to the, the Ganges, and so it's a holy river. And so they would, when someone dies, they, uh, they cremate them right there on the river steps, and then they push the body into the river. And so uh, it's just not a very clean river. I mean, sewage from the city, the largest, Kathmandu is like a dirty city, uh, just water running into this river is just nasty. And people would get up early and go bathe themselves in that river because it's a spiritual cleansing that they're seeking and so after cleansing themselves in a dirty river uh, which i just think is a little weird um they will go and when i was there uh we got up early me and my two friends got up early and we were on the roof praising the true the one the only god of the bible jesus christ we're praising god on the rooftop in the morning and we looked over and also on the rooftop was a lady practicing uh the puja and so she was sitting there she had a little carpet out and she had a bunch of incense sticks in her hand. And she's sitting down like in the yoga kind of position. And in front of her is this little golden um, idol. I think we have a picture of one. 
Oh, yeah, that little guy with the, with the elephant head. His name is, uh, what's his name? Ganesh. Yes, thank you, Sarah Beth and Tammy. They've been, they, were, they were in Nepal for a whole year. So as I'm sharing these stories, they're like, Joe, you're a clown. You were just there for like a month. They were there for a whole year as mill missionaries. Did you know that? So there's Ganesh with the elephant head. Um, supposedly he lost his head, and the god was like, uh, the first head that we see we'll put on you. And so they saw an elephant, so they put the head on uh, an elephant head on a man. Uh, kind of cool, kind of not. But anyways, um, so this lady ha- is sitting down in her, in her position, yoga position, kind of cross-legged with all these in- sticks of incense uh, on her hands. She's like going like this. And then uh, she puts the incense down and takes some flowers and throws some flowers on the little idol god. Then she throws some flowers on herself. And then she takes some red flowery material, like a paste, like a red paste, and kind of spreads on the little idol. And then she spreads some on her forehead. And she does this, uh, I think, three times is what I've heard the, the tradition is. You do it three times. And so you have a red dot on your forehead from doing your morning worship. And that's where the red dot comes from. And so if you're a good Hindu, you do the practice of the morning worship, and that's how you have the red dot. However, some people that are richer can afford to get like a jewel, like a ruby, a red ruby, and like stick that on their forehead, or cool stickers that are red. Um, that's, that's where the idea kind of comes from. And if you're really rich and you don't want to do the morning worship, then you could actually pay somebody to go down and bathe themselves come back and do the worship for you because you paid them and then you could get the little red dot for just paying a couple cents to have have someone else do the morning worship. Pretty sweet, don't you think? You're like, oh, just save 15 minutes of my day. (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. I don't see anybody else laughing. I guess it's not that funny. Uh, Number four, is it okay to get a little graphic in here? You're old enough, right? Uh, They have a book called the Karma Sutra. Have you heard of this book? Some of you are like, now, there's a book in the Bible called the Song of Solomon. It's a book of Song of Solomon. is about a guy and a girl that go out into a field and they hug and they hold each other and they kiss each other. It's a G-rated book compared to the Karma Sutra, which is a very detailed X-rated book about sex and how to have sex. And in Hinduism, sex is a very big part of their religion. I remember seeing a painting um, I was going through a Hindu temple, me and my two friends that were there a couple years ago, and uh, we were praying to Jesus in the Hindu temple saying, God, reveal yourself in this temple. We were just kind of praying spiritual warfare prayers and praying, God, come down and be you be the presence in this place, not some fake God. And we were praying, and we saw a painting of, uh, a painting of what looked like a gods raping human beings. And I was like, what in the world is this? And my friend said, well, they believe that the higher classes come from humans and God, God's raping humans. Sorry, it's a little graphic, sorry. Um, and, and having children, and then the higher classes come from this, come from this relationship that gods and humans had. And I was like, that's so, I mean, compared to our God, Jesus, who died on a cross for us and loves us, we do not believe in a God that goes that comes to earth to rape people, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's very, uh, it's a sexual religion. It's a religion where you'll often see gods having sex with each other. Um, one of the main points of this book, Karma Sutra, is, is that um, you can have sex in such a way as to not feel anything, 
not to have any desires. Because the main portion of Hinduism is to, to not have any desire so that you could be reincarnated into nirvana where there's no desires, where you're nothingness. And so you get the point of the book, right? Fun fact number four. Sorry, I put it this little, it's not that fun, huh? You're like, that's kind of gross, Joe. <laughs> it is. Fun fact number five, though, is that Buddhism comes out of Hinduism. In our thinking, we might say that Buddhism came as like a denominational break from Hinduism. Did you know that? If you've ever been to a foreign country in East Asia or whatever, and you go into a Hindu temple, and then you go into a Buddhist temple, you'll look around and say, wait, aren't these the same gods? Isn't that Shiva? Isn't that Ganesh? Isn't that uh, whoever? Aren't these similar gods? Yes, because Buddhism um, is kind of a break-off from Hinduism around 600 B.C., Buddha was fi- finding a new way to, uh, to uh, enlightenment and came from the Hindu tradition and broke off his own religion called Buddhism. Did you know that? Kind of interesting, at least to me. I mean, I just learned that like last month, and I was like, really? Oh, that makes so much more sense now that they're the same gods in Hinduism and Buddhism. Fun fact number six. Um, fun fact number six says, um, oh, this is, this is a big one. There's so many different takes uh, like in christianity there's like sound christian doctrine right like we as all christians all over like our presbyterian friends our baptist friends we could all get together and say here's some tenets of our belief we believe in jesus we believe in the bible we believe that jesus is lord we believe in god uh we believe in this and this and we could have some tenets of our faith of christianity right can you do that in hinduism no you can't do that in, in fact, even uh, so, the main point number six would be there's many takes on what is really true, and even when it comes to um, the gods or God that they worship, if you're talking to one Hindu, they might say Hinduism believes in atheism, and you're like, what? You believe in no God? And they'll say, yeah, we don't. We believe that there is no God. That we're all a part of one stuff. Everything, everyone, the whole universe is, is called monism. There's just one stuff that everything is all a part of one. And we're all kind of this spiritual stuff. There is no God. It's just all one stuff. Kind of get the picture? And so they would say there is no God. They would say we're atheists. And you're like, what? That's a little weird. And so you go to your next Hindu friend. And you're like, do you, do you really believe that there's no God? And they're like, no. We believe in many gods. We believe in Ganesh and Shiva and Krishna and Vishnu and all these different gods. And you're like, oh, that's weird because that guy just said that there's no god at all. And you're like, no, there's lots of gods. See, look at all the paintings. And there's paintings of all those different gods. And then you talk to another Buddhist, uh, excuse me, another Hindu person. And you're like, so you guys are all polytheists, right? You believe in a bunch of different gods? And, he, and he's like, heck no. We believe in one god, one single god in all these manifestations like Shiva and Vishnu and Krishna and Ganesh, are just forms of this one big God. They're just manifestations or personalities of the one big God. Confusing, right? Yeah, very confusing. Very confusing to someone like me who's trying to research Hinduism, trying to figure out what the heck do they believe. I don't know. There's different takes on what is true. It's a religion that has evolved. 
It's a religion that's okay with juxtapositions. It's a religion that's okay with, with you saying there is no God, with me, with someone else, excuse me, saying there's lots of gods, and then someone else saying, oh, there's just one God. Kind of weird, right? But it's just the way they roll. Fun fact number seven. Uh, fun fact number seven is that they are, this, Hinduism is the religion that believes or did believe in the caste system. And a long time ago, in like 1500 BC, there was uh, a bunch of northern, I guess European, whiter looking people that came to India and gave them their, uh, the, the religion of like Vishnu and Krishna and gave them their gods and just kind of the religion of Hinduism. It's called the Vedas. And we'll talk about that in a second when we talk about the history. But anyways, in India, even today, there's the people that stay inside that have, like, uh, palace jobs, and they can stay out of the sun. And so their skin is pretty light. And then there's people that stay outside all day and, like, work in the field. Their skin gets very sunburnt and very dark. And then there's, there's – so there's shades of people in India. And the caste system originally came from um, the lighter people were the highest class, the royal class, the middle, medium darkness people – were uh, part of like the worker class, and then the lowest part of the class, the darkest skinned type of people, almost almost African, and, and as far as how dark they are, and they would be the the extreme low class, the untouchables, the people that were at the bottom of the the caste system, and you could not go from one caste to another caste. You could not um, say, oh, I want to get a bunch of money and be like the royal people. You could not do that. Racism. And the caste system made you stay where you were. And the, so the India believed, the Hindus believed in a caste system, that you had to stay in this different caste. It's, it's interesting that in 1948, uh, with Gandhi and all that, they outlawed the caste system. But the, the resemblance, the, just what the caste system did, is still around today. There's still prejudices towards poor people. There's still prejudices towards darker-skinned people than more lighter-skinned people. That's fun fact number seven. Pretty fun, huh? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I wanted to talk about reincarnation, which kind of plays into um, the caste system. That's fun fact number eight, reincarnation. Hindus believe that um, you, you will die and you will come back as something else until you reach nirvana, until like you, you, you first come as a little snail and you, then you're like a bunny and then you're a cat, and then you're a dog, and then you're a monkey, and then you get to be a human. And when you become a human, you're at the lowest part of the caste system. And if you're a good person as far as building up good karma and not doing bad karma things, karma is just a word that means actions or deeds, good deeds versus bad. If you have a lot of good deeds versus your bad deeds, then maybe you'll graduate to the next level and be another person in the caste system that's one higher up. And so you eventually want to be a cow. Because cows are a worshipped animal, um, and I kind of laugh, but I mean, to, to us it's so foreign and so different. But with, with the most respect for Hinduism, Hindus, the people, um, they believe that cows are like a gentle, docile animal that it has been almost enlightened. And so you keep getting reincarnated until you become a cow, and then, then after that, you, if you're a good cow... I think, is that how it works? Sarah Beth's just looking at me like, what in the world? <laughs> okay. 
Okay. So, like I was saying, I mean, there's so many variations. I'm, I'm repeating what she said. There's so many variations on what people believe, but most people would respect the cow. You cannot just go around killing cows and going to McDonald's in India. You, there is McDonald's in India. They have what do they have? Like lamb or yak or something? Bacon? You, they don't have McDonald's in India. Yes, they do. It's India. They, and so, what do they serve? A pig? Lamb burgers? You're like, ooh, give me a quarter pounder of that lamb <laughs> burger. Anyways, the point being is that they, the, the cow is to be a, a worshipped animal. And sadly enough, I was in a taxi one time in Nepal driving down the road, kind of like what Aaron was sharing about his experience in a taxi and driving a million miles per hour through like winding streets and kids playing and carts and donkeys. Um, and the taxi driver was kind of being nonchalant, kind of joking around and said, if there's a kid in the road and a cow in the road, I will, and he said this, he said, I will swerve to miss the cow to hit the kid if it comes down to that. Because he said in, in Nepal, if you hit a cow, it's, I believe, is it correct that it's the only sin, the only mistake punishable by death? That if you kill a cow, whether it be by accident in your car, you're, you are punished to death. Whereas if you hit a kid, I guess you just go to jail, right? Is that how it works? And so, yeah, it's not a big deal to hit a kid. Um, it is a big deal. I mean, this, the sanctity uh, is so foreign to us that some of us are even laughing about it because it's so foreign to think that a cow is, is a spiritually enlightened being one step away from nirvana, one step away from being enlightened. It's a very different religion than Christianity. Um, let's see, was that fun fact? Fun fact number nine is that, um, is that Hinduism has a lot to do with the New Age movement. That, that if you talk to the average person who's, who's just chilling in the coffee shop and they're like, yeah, man, I'm spiritual, um, they will probably have a very Hinduistic tendencies. Uh, for instance, they will probably be into yoga. They will probably be into meditation. These are very Hindu things. Um, they will probably be into incense and burning incense as far as a religious thing. Um, what is so, and I'll say the word cool, meaning like what's cool as far as Americans in 2007 is that we think that East, not, not us as Christians, but what the mainstream um, America says is that the Eastern religions are just cool, that they have somehow found something that is just cool, right? I mean, is incense cool to like our non-Christian friends? Yeah, it is. They go out and buy it, buy like the dozen, like, like the ton. They light it and they're like, this is cool. This is incense. They believe in, um, it's very common to believe that um, experience um, supersedes anything else. As Christians, we would say, you know, if you have a weird experience, why don't you check that with the Bible? Because that's weird, and the Bible is what we hold as true, right? Whereas if you're talking to your New Age friends, they will say, oh, I had this experience. I had this dream where maybe I, I saw my grandmother, and she's, she's told me what to do with my life. I mean, they would say, oh, that experience is just cool. It's the way that, it's th that experience somehow supersedes anything that's written, supersedes anything that's already been built. Um, uh, my wife and I are moving to Manitou in, in two weeks. Do you know Manitou? <laughs> they, they have stickers that say, keep Manitou weird. And, uh, and so we'll be helping do that. <laughs> but there's a lot of New Age stuff 
in Manitou. And we feel as though us being strong Christians can somehow infiltrate and talk to the average person and, and just be a light of the world in Manitou Springs. That's, that's one of the reasons why we're moving there. And, and so as, as we walk through Manitou, there's these little shops, fortune-telling shops. There's these little shops that are like, say, that this person is a spiritual guide. And that is a very Hinduish kind of thing. You know that the Hindus don't gather like this and have a church service every week. It's more of go to the temple on your own, worship a little god on your own, visit someone named a guru, which is kind of a Hindu Hindu term. It's a Hindu way of thinking that someone above you, someone who knows spiritual stuff, is going to help you personally, your guru. I think I have a picture of a sadhu, which would be a guru. Do you see this guy? Oh, you can barely see him. Doesn't he look cool? He's got like a beard and a bunch of white paint on him. He's in a yoga position. And uh, you would go to him and ask him for advice. <laughs> it's funny to me because he's like homeless and smoking pot. And, and you're like, dude, what should I do with my life? And he's like, well, here's, here's what you should do. Um, it's I, I, We all laugh, but to, as no offense that 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 is still that is just a popular i mean in american culture it's popular to have a guru or someone who is spiritually above you i mean as far as like me and being a pastor um you you might come to me advi- for advice i meet with a lot of guys throughout the week but no one is is coming to me and burning incense with me and us like looking into crystal balls and me me saying you need to go to uccs not pike speak and then we're like doing weird things um that's just not how it works in christianity but in Hinduism, that's really how it works. That's fun fact number nine, I believe, right? The, the whole New Age thing. Fun fact number ten about Hinduism is, is that they claim that they are the oldest religion. And that, that just isn't true. But what is true about that is that they have the oldest writings. It's the Vedas. Um, that was, the Vedas are the, the, the oldest ri- religious writing on the face of this earth. And it was written around 1,500 B.C. And it was literally, I mean, Moses, if Moses was born a couple years earlier, his writing of the Old Testament would have been before the Vedas. It's right around the same time that Moses was writing um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, Right around 1,500, Moses, right around 1,400, Moses was writing. As you know, B.C., the bigger the number, the, the further back in history, the smaller the number, the closer in history. Did you know that? Of course you did. You're the nerds of Sunday school. Um, I don't need to explain that. Um, so it's right around the same time, although the Vedas may win. I mean, it's hard to date when the Vedas were actually written. It's hard to date when Moses actually wrote. So maybe maybe the Christians win as far as the, having the oldest writing. We're not, to, we're not so sure. But it's probably the Vedas that are a couple years older than the Old Testament writings. But they're just poetry about God's warring with each other. What's so cool about the Old Testament and the Bible is that Moses was writing a true story about Abraham, for instance. Abraham was 2000 B.C. Moses in the Old Testament, if you read Genesis, goes back to the flood, goes back to the Tower of Babel, goes back all the way to God saying, let there be light. I mean, so Christianity, uh, as far as like Judaism into Christianity, is clearly the oldest religion by by well-documented cases, whereas the Vedas may be just written before the Old Testament. Do you understand that claim that they have? That they, they, they claim they have, that they are the oldest religion? That's just not true, although they may have a writing that is the oldest religious writing. Um, here's some brief history about 
um, Hindus, and then we'll get into New Age in just a second here. The brief history says that in around 1500 B.C., uh, the Vedas were written by people coming from the north. I mean, if you, if you research it, they'll say that they're the Aryans. And the Aryans, if you've heard that term before, is a term that Hitler used saying the white um, race is better than all other races. That's just kind of a myth. The Aryan race um, is just kind of like lighter-skinned um, people from Europe that were, uh, they were probably wrote in Sanskrit. They were probably um, just very ancient in their ways of worshiping. And they brought the Vedas to India and brought a religion that was very polytheistic. There was a, a god of the sun. There was a god of the moon. There was a god of the earth. There was a god of the storms. There was a god of rain. And so if it didn't rain for a while and you're in a drought, you may make sacrifices or just worship the rain god. Then it would start raining. And Hinduism has their foundation in this polytheism, which has slowly evolved and emerged into what is today Hinduism. And, and of course, there's just lots of, I mean, the Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, took over India, had some influence in Hinduism. Um, as, as you probably know, the British Empire took over India, had some British influence into Hinduism. Gandhi kind of freed India from um, the British Empire. And Hinduism continues to evolve, and they see that as a good thing. We would see it as, wait, your religion changed from polytheism to monotheism to possibly atheism where there's no God, every, everything is just God. We would see that as just plain, like, well, which one is it? God is God, and he does not change, right? And so it's hard for us to wrap our mind around an evolving religion where so many people have so many different beliefs and experiences, but that is really what Hinduism is all about. Um, I wanted to talk quickly about the New Age movement. I guess I kind of already did. Um, what is really popular about the New Age movement and Hinduism is that yoga comes from a Hindu tradition of putting your body... You know what yoga is, right? I'm not explaining anything new to you. Um, you, you get into positions like this guy. <laughs> At first you're like, what is that? Oh, his head is behind his legs. Um, you get into position, and different positions mean different things, and it's supposed to, um, yoga is not just stretching. If you want to go to a, like my Bally's Fitness Center where I work out and get huge with a big bill, um, so funny. <laughs> uh, they offer a yoga class. They also offer a Pilates class. A Pilates class is like stretching and, and sitting still and doing cool stuff like that. Yoga is not just stretching. Yoga is a holistic, um, holistic exercise system that is very spiritual in and of itself. And I think we have enough time. Why don't you quickly, at your tables, um, debate with each other. Take a side and say, yes, yoga is okay for Christians to do, or no, yoga is bad for Christians to do. Would you discuss that for exactly 30 to 60 seconds? Ready, set, go. (laughs) 
All right, I'll give you just another 30 seconds to wrap up. All right, let's talk as a, as a big group. Everybody say... It's a, it's a good, I think it's a, it could be a very well debated point. Would someone stand up and uh, say what they think as far as yoga being okay for Christians? Does anyone have that side? Would they be willing to share? Yes, please. If you just go in there to stretch or something. Has anybody, okay. Has anybody ever heard of Christian yoga? I've heard of a Christian yoga being offered. You have? Do you want to share about it? sorry what led by a Christian in that they teach yoga be still be quiet stretch and pray to God of the Bible okay right Whereas true yoga, if you went to a yoga uh, that was led by a Hindu or even like a New Age person, they would say, let's meditate, let's be quiet, and think of nothing. That's, that's kind of, to become nothingness is really one of the points of yoga. That it's an act, a deed of meditation so that you can be enlightened. And what enlightenment is all about is becoming nothingness. Becoming, the, the, the analogy is becoming a drop of water, that you are the drop of water, into the ocean, becoming nothingness, becoming one with the surrounding spiritual coolness. <laughs> Someone, uh, let's hear the other side, shall we? I asked uh, Sarah Beth, would you like to share? I asked Sarah Beth to think through the, the deal of yoga stuff. Sarah Beth is our meal missionary who is in Nepal for a whole year, and I asked her to share. Yes, go ahead. Right. So a slippery slope, a way of getting... Um, into Hinduism. I want to talk about, um, I guess I just want to say that, I mean, there is the side that says yoga is just stretching. And that's, if you want to just stretch, do Pilates or do stretching. Um, <laughs> yoga, yoga really is an, a holistic um, approach. I mean, as a Christian, if someone's saying, okay, let's just sit still and try to become nothing. As Christians, we could say, you know, that, that's cool to meditate, and it's, it's perfectly okay to meditate, but the idea of becoming nothing isn't, I mean, God has created us to be something. God has redeemed us. He has called us his, his daughter and his son, that we are children of God. Our goal in life is not to become nothingness. And so if I've a fit, maybe if you're going to a yoga class, um, I guess just think through why are you going? What, what is so cool about this, the, the meditation of becoming nothingness and getting in the position of Shiva and, and sitting there until your arms hurt and then saying no to the pain of your body so that you can end desire and become nothingness and become enlightened? I would just be very careful, like what Sarah Beth said would be the point of that. The, the last thing I want to talk about with the, with the uh, seven minutes that we have left is how to be a good witness to Hindus. It's, I mean, in all honesty, it's not very often that I meet Hindus um, living in Colorado Springs. 
Um, although the Garden of the Gods, has anyone ever been to the Garden of the Gods where there isn't a Hindu family um, taking pictures? <laughs> I don't think I have. There's always, um, I don't know, there's just always a family. Of, they got the saris on, the, the ladies do. Uh, the, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me seeing things at the Garden of the Gods. But um, go to the Garden of the Gods if you want to witness two Hindus. They're there. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't even know where that came from. I apologize. The Garden of the Gods has nothing to do with Hinduism. Um, I think one of the keys is that one of the keys to witnessing to anybody is to engage them as a person, not the religion that they might believe in. And I think this is especially true of Hinduism. Because you might be talking to someone and say, oh, you're a polytheist, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not a polytheist. I believe in one God with many manifestations of this one Brahmin God who is enlightened being. Um, it's, it's always good, whether you're talking to a Buddhist or a Hindu or just anyone who's maybe even non-religious, to engage them as a person. I think Jesus really did it right when he made friends with people, had, had a meal with people, um, talked to people, and, and didn't, you know how, I'm so guilty of this as well, as far as often witnessing to someone or getting into a conversation with someone, and then it becomes just like this bat, batting back and forth, like, no, I believe this, I believe this. Well, the Bible says this. Well, this says this. And it gets into like a, it just gets into like a, a bad taste. People leave with a bad taste in their mouth. And we're called to deliver the truth. We're called to, to make a claim for what we believe. But at the same time, we're called to love people. We're called to love Hindus. As Christians, I think um, one of the things that has most influenced Hindus into coming to know Christ is, is the reason why Mother Teresa is on the cover of the, we call this the skillet, the Sunday school millet. Um, Mother Teresa is on the cover. That's who that is. She's holding a little Indian baby. And uh, Mother Teresa, she did her ministry in Calcutta. She went to India, gave up her life and uh, as a European, went to India and worked with children who were in orphanin, orphans. And she also worked with people that, it, I guess it's kind of like a hospice program, where people that were considered by their society to be nobodies, people considered to be on the lowest class, and as they were dying, they were considered untouchable. They were part of the lowest class. They were dying. They had bad things, bad spirit about them. And, and they were dying, and they had no place to go. Imagine old people. Just, I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a gruesome thought, but the old people having no one and just kind of dying on the street. Mother Teresa opened a, a place for people to come and be cared for right at the end of her life. And the fruit of her type of ministry, Mother Teresa's, uh, as far as what she did all over India, going to the lowest class and saying, you are somebody. Even though society and maybe even your religion tells you that you were born poor because you were, were a bad person in a previous life. That's what the religion, that's what the society tells someone that's extremely poor and can barely even feed themselves. But Christians going over and say, you're a child of God. God loves you. Even though you're poor and society is saying you're a bad person because you lived a bad previous life, you're a good person. There's an image of God inside of you. There's someone who died for you. His name is Jesus, and he cares about you. And he wants you to be in his kingdom, and he wants you to believe in him so that 
after this life is over, you don't have to keep going through reincarnations, but you could live and be alive with Jesus Christ. That's why, did you know that's why we call it the good news of the gospel? You know, that's why we call it witnessing to someone. A witness is someone that stands up and tells the truth about something that they saw. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ because we are testifying to the good news, the, the truth that we have. And there's so much fruit in India where people go over and work in orphanages as far as being Christians and telling those little orphans that, that even though they're born and they don't even have parents, that God made them somebody, that, there's, that they are a daughter or a son of the king. Mother Teresa tells this story um, of a six-year-old orphan boy. The, sister, the sisters had rescued them from the streets of Calcutta where he was dying of a fever and nursed him back to health. One day he was to leave for another home um, and they gave him a bag of sugar, a highly, uh, commodity, a highly prized commodity amongst the poor because a quarter bag of kilo, a quarter, uh, a quarter kilo of sugar equals a day's wages. As a little boy walked through the gates, he saw the sisters carrying in another child, obviously in great need. He walked straight over to them and handed the sugar to the sister, saying that he wanted the sick boy to have it. Mother Teresa asked him why he had done it. And he said, I think that's what Jesus would have done, he replied. This idea that even though you're born without something, that Jesus wants you, that our God, the God of the Bible, the only true God, wants you to be a someone. That you haven't, as they believe in karma, that if you do good things in this life, then good things will come back to you. If you do bad things, bad things will come back to you. And it's not as if, if you do something bad, it's not like you could do a whole bunch of good things and cover over that bad thing. If you do a bad thing, something bad will come back to you. But if you do something good, something good will come back to you. And so if you're living your life and you're a pretty good person in Hinduism, and, and you just maybe you make one big mistake in your life, maybe as gory as this sounds, maybe you accidentally... Hit a, hit a cow with your car. That is a huge mistake in the life of a Hindu. You, they will come back as a snail. They will come back as, a, as something horrible, as something horrible in this life and have to go through the whole process of being born again, reincarnated as something higher, live a good life, build up good deeds, good karma in order to come back as something else. And I just think as... As like maybe you're someone that's a higher class, someone that's gone to college, someone that's rich in Hinduism. That's one of the highest classes. And if you, um, your, your life has been good thus far and you make a big mistake, well, you can't do good karma to cover over bad karma. So how do you live a perfect life in order to be enlightened? Well, Christianity has an answer for that. We would say you can't live a perfect life in order to be enlightened. That Jesus has lived a perfect life. That Jesus was God on earth. He lived a perfect life. And his, his death on the cross covers all our bad deeds. To use their lingo, it covers all bad karma. I like the band U2. And uh, does anybody else like U2? U2 has a, I think they're very, Bono is their, their writer. I think he's very Christian. Writes even, he wrote a song called 40, which is the Psalm 40 in worship hymn style. I think it's pretty sweet. He has a song called Grace. And one of the lines in the song called Grace, off their, off their, one of their latest albums, says, Grace travels outside of karma. And I was thinking about that one day, and I just thought, while someone is in the midst of Hinduism, 
saying, I got to build up good deeds, stop doing bad deeds, uh, karma will come back to me, good, good things will bring good things, bad things will bring bad things, I got I to gotta do this and this in order to be reincarnated as something higher. Grace travels outside of karma and says, it does not matter what you've been born as. It does not matter how many mistakes you've made on this earth. Jesus has died for your sins. And you could have salvation today. That is the good news. The good news that Christians have to tell Hindus. Would you pray with me this morning? God, our prayer is, is that you will be the light of the world on this earth. God, would you use us as we now know more about Hinduism? God, would you use us in these next days and weeks to speak to someone who's either a Hindu, to speak to someone who's just entrenched in the New Age thought of karma and tell them the good news that Jesus has died for their sins, that Jesus covers the bad deeds that they've done, that Jesus alone is the way to salvation. And it's a road that is so much better than reincarnations and so much better than manifestations of gods that are sick and that are cruel to humans. God, we just praise you for being the God that you are, the one, the true light of this world. God, we praise you and we worship you right now and you alone, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.